0: Everybody, this is your host Aram Kumuf, and you're listening to another episode of the Product Innovation series. Uh, today, I'm here with Manos Akirekakis, hopefully I got that right, who is the head of product and growth at a company called Simpler, which aims to allow shoppers at all over the world to check out from anywhere easily. Uh, previously, Manos worked with other VC-backed startups in industries in such as insurance tech, ad tech. Travel tech, including PriceFox, Avocare, Market Group, and Welcome Pickups, and he also actually co-founded his own company as well. Um, he also has his own newsletter, writing about product and growth. Look out for the link to sign up in the show notes with this episode when we go live. Uh, Manos, thank you so much for uh, giving me the time today, and really excited to have you on our show. Uh,
1: thank you for the invitation, Aram, and uh, you know it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here
0: cool well uh let's get started so the first question i have uh because we have a lot of you know i think discussion things we want to topics we want to get to today but um i want to talk about early days product market fit you know it's always you know a challenge for certain people to kind of figure out you know how do i get to product market fit what do i do to get to product market fit, what does success look like, et cetera? Uh, so when a startup is about to just get traction, but you know hasn't done so yet, and there's lots of implications and dangers for product development that come after, right? Uh, so the first question I have for you is, what what types of like product marketing or product uh, market fit activities, you know, have you done or or, or do you do? Um, you know when building out a startup that you've seen you know work for you in, in the past or currently
1: yeah uh, so indeed uh, it's a very tricky period uh because everybody you know is uh, like booming because you just landed your first few customers and you get your traction but you know uh, early product market fit to begin with uh, i would say that uh, it's very easy to confuse it with uh, uh, the idea validation stage right where, you you know, the idea of validation, you just have a few customers paying for your product. In the early product market fit, you need to have your first, let's say, few customers who are are actually successful. And, uh, no, talking about uh, the activities that you mentioned, I think that in that case, uh, customer development is uh, something very important. You know, being very close to customers, talking to them, trying to understand. Uh, their needs, where they come from, uh, their pain points, and how you can adjust your offering so that you can uh, actually serve their needs in the best way possible. Because uh, in the early stages, where you don't have many data points from your customer, it's very easy to you know for things to get blurry. And uh, you, you don't really know what you should prioritize, what's more important and what not. So yeah, I would say that uh, in that case, uh, this be, being really close to the, to, to your target audience is very, very important.
0: And so what, um, you mentioned it, right? There's validation. It's like you get some customers who are paying for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then product market fit is different, right? That's right? So what would you say is the biggest difference? Is it like specific, uh, length of time that people are paying you? Is it like. Uh, other metrics that help define that you actually hit product-market
1: fit? Yeah, so in that case you could definitely split product-market fit into certain stages. So as you said, uh, early product-market fit is to have uh, your first few successful customers, and the word successful here is very, very important. Um, So those customers are usually also your first advocates and so on. Uh, whereas you know, in true pro- product market fit, you're way deeper into your uh, let's say in your in your journey as a company. Uh, at that stage, uh, you you know I like the Mark Anderson uh, definition where they tell you that you're in a good market and uh, you have a product that really satisfies uh, the needs of your market. So yeah, uh, in in that case, one great indicator is your revenues. They're usually you know growing very very fast and the demand for your product is growing at a rate that you can hardly uh, satisfy right you, in that case you could uh, you could have an example like as uh, having so many requests from your users that you can hardly keep up with uh, development and you can hardly deliver a uh, product uh also your product is uh, you know growing in a maybe an unmanageable rate um Whereas, you know, when you're in the early stages where your product market fit is not clear, you're at that point where you constantly get requests as prerequisites and as hard requirements, close deals uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, So, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, And so let's talk about Simpler now. Um, You know, in in your Mm -hmm. current role as, uh, as, as head of product and growth, What was particularly challenging in early days of product-market fit at at Simplr?
1: Yeah, I think it was a combination of things uh, that uh, at the end of the day uh, they boiled down to us uh, finding our niche and uh, focusing on one uh, certain persona. And, you know, it's still early days. It's not that we're that that much of an old company and so on. So we're still, uh, you know, fine tuning. Uh, stuff around our product market fit, but in an industry like ours like e-commerce there's a huge spectrum of uh, customer segments and customer profiles that uh, you can address uh, you can address to. so at the the beginning it was very blurry for us because we had uh, our first few customers our first few merchants that were actually uh, had adopted our solution Uh, but we were facing certain difficulties and to name a few uh, we were not for example we were not certain uh, need for for them as we would look we would like um, so we they were prospects that we, we considered them to be important for us and sales took forever to close or there were feature requests that were prerequisites uh, for deals to close and you know to make matters worse we didn't really uh, understand what was uh, the most important thing to prioritize, or at least it was hard for us to understand that. Uh, and all those were clear sim- symptoms for us that uh, we were not there yet, that we, we still needed uh, to, to focus more if we wanted you know, to succeed. And yeah, this, this became really apparent for us and this is what we actually did. So we had to laser focus and uh, so that we could gain more clarity as, as to who the customer was and what their needs were. So uh, we decided that, you know what, uh, we cannot uh, serve every single merchant. We cannot serve merchants of all sizes in terms, you know, of uh, the revenues that they're having. We cannot uh, serve s- s- merchants of all verticals or even merchants using the same, all the, all the technologies. So we picked a, a very specific segment And this is what uh, we started laser focusing on. And, uh, you know, at that point, uh, the needs started becoming more consolidated. Uh, We started to have a way better understanding of uh, which needs were the more important ones and which uh, were not. And, you know, we achieved all that by really being too close to them. And obviously, uh, there were also other indicators that we were tracking because we suddenly saw our sales closing way easier. Uh, as, uh, you know, we were adjusting our product better to their needs. Our revenues also started growing at a better rate. Uh, Also, we saw our churn, or our retention, if you'd like, getting better and better, and especially on the cohorts, you know, that were closer to our target persona and our target merchants. So, this is uh, what we did and what we still do, right? I mean, it's a constant uh, optimization uh, process there.
0: Okay. And so from the point of hitting product market fit, you probably had, maybe it was an MVP, maybe it was even more than an MVP. But then from that point forward, um, how did you kind of avoid creating like Frankenstein products? What I mean by that is like, you know, when you're building something, uh, you know, you're going to be incurring technical debt, no matter what you do, right? It might be, uh, you might be on the right track in terms of the right feature that, you know, is maybe needed, or maybe you guys think is needed, etc. So, when you're iterating on all these features, how do you know that you're doing it with the right purpose?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in this case, it is a, a very important factor is to to have a, a clear a clear vision uh, about you know the the, the broad change uh, that you're trying to bring and. Uh, this might sound a bit theoretical, but uh, I really, uh, I strongly believe that uh, it's super important for, for any you know, company and any product that wants uh, to succeed. And it has been a, a pitfall, I think, for many businesses. And um, it, This also helps you avoid uh, entering an endless iteration loop and creating, as you said, a Frankenstein product. And the first thing I, I think that you need to do is to check that your vision is strong. And you have a clear strategy that, you know, you use those two as as your compass on what to build and what uh, not to build, more importantly. Okay. Um, and maybe to take it a step further and connect it what, with what we were discussing before, uh, you need to know who you're building for, uh, be close to them and, uh, you know, really, really strive, strive to understand their needs. Um, so this is going to give you give you that answer
0: okay and um uh so outside of simpler Mm -hmm. you know uh, uh, in a prior roles whether it was a company you co-founded or in other roles when you were in product or other examples right have you ever seen you know maybe a situation or two where you saw companies build out a product that kind of fell into this like uh trap Mm -hmm. where they were building out you know features without um you know the right vision
1: yeah in, you could, we could talk about many examples uh, you know and from the big ones uh, but i think that many people uh, have uh, written endlessly about it I, I won't take an example from a company that uh, uh, i used to work for although you know it's quite uh, easy to fall into the trap of having feature teams that uh, keep uh, you know our feature factories and keep building and building and building i think that uh, uh, an example could be one of our ex-competitors in Simpler who, and I'm saying ex because they recently shut down their operations, you may have heard of a company called Fast, for example. Uh, so it was a, a, a quite... A, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so there, I think
0: everybody's heard about Fast. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, in my personal opinion, and you know, uh, this is totally my opinion, uh, part of the reason that uh, they did fail was um that they did not manage actually they they scaled too early before actually managing to uh to achieve real uh, product product market fit right and uh, part of the i'm not saying that they you know they will uh building stuff without having a purpose in in any way but i think that uh, it's a good example of uh what happens if you you have some great traction you have uh Uh, In my opinion, they had a product that's uh, with huge potential and, you know, backing of investors like Stripe and so on. Uh, But I think that the pressure to grow too fast was, uh, uh, you know, pushed them uh, to, and their growth was not sustainable. So, sadly, uh, both for the industry and obviously for the people uh, that all this affected, uh, they had to the, the worst possible result.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, you talked about, um, product leaders having the right vision. And so like, I I fortunately have the privilege to talk to a lot of product, you know, individuals like yourself. And I'm always curious to ask a question around like, how do you maintain and ensure alignment with say like the founding team or the co-founders who may or not be product, you know, uh, attuned, um, in terms of making sure that, you're on track, you know, you have the right kind of uh, strategy in place. You're not deviating, uh, you know, too far off. And the whole team is focused, right? Like some people do like kind of quarterly, uh, like product, uh, like product boards. You know, like what have you done? What do you do that you've seen work in order to make sure that um, product vision is, is, is aligned with all stakeholders?
1: Mm-hmm so this is uh, this is a great question and what we uh, you know as a pro- as a product leader you are the one that uh, needs to make sure that uh, you know you're protecting this vision that this vision is relevant and uh, uh, everybody's aligned around this vision and uh, uh, f- founders are obviously uh, extremely important stakeholders into that and you need to make sure that alignment is there so for us for example we have uh, regular uh sinks and alignments where you know we uh, review our vision, review our stat- strategy, and make sure that uh, one, we are aligned, and two, our vision you know, and strategy are what they should be. So I'm a, I'm a great fan, actually, of uh, uh, the, the, the opinion that uh, has been expressed by Radika Dot, who I think was a past uh, uh, guest into, into the show. Uh, I admire her a lot, and yes. I think that uh, through her book, Radical Product Thinking, uh, what she's uh, saying about us checkpoints about your vision is super to the point. So, you know, what we do and what we did in this quarter as well was that we sat down and uh, with, with the founders and we had that session where we started from our vision and evaluated that, you know, uh, what's our vision? Is it centered around uh, the problems that we were currently solving, that we want to solve and we aim to solve for our customers? Um, do Do we have a clear and state about this vision and are we all aligned around this and state and uh, around how this would look like and uh, the third part is uh does this have real value about uh the, the customers and the segments that we're actually intend uh, to impact so this is the first exercise that we need to solve because uh, it's very rare in my opinion that everybody and my experience that everybody is gonna be uh, fully aligned uh, around those topics and uh, you know if you're not aligned then you need to start having data and bring data points in order to see where, how you should uh, adjust it uh, and usually those data points should be coming directly from your market right like it's not only the product manager that is close to the customers it's also uh, sales support you, you need to analyze those insights and see how this should shape uh, your vision
0: Mm Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Great. Um, my last few questions I have, I want to talk about a different topic, which is, uh, I think, um, uh, you know, well-known when it comes to product, it's a, it's about, well, it's a few things. It's like confidence when it comes to product, right? There's arrogance when it comes to product and then assumptions in product. (laughs) <laughs> the three, you know, I think arrogance and confidence go well together where if you're super arrogant, you, yeah. know, you know, you're you going to have struggles, right? Like when it comes to, uh, have being successful, um, you know, having mentioned those things, confidence, arrogance, making assumptions and product What's like the first thing or two that come to your mind when, you know, you think about that,
1: um, Product managers at the early stages of their careers. <laughs> no, okay, just kidding. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but yeah, it's uh, it's very easy at your, at your early steps uh, to fall prey into that. Uh, you know, it's very easy for us to fall in love uh, with our di- ideas and hypotheses and neglect to, you know, uh, do a reality check and uh, check them. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, we, we have this uh, urge to see Uh, to to create the product and uh, have that out in the market, that you might neglect to do a proper investigation in advance. Or even if you do uh, move ahead with implementation, you may neglect to measure if what you had in mind actually had uh, the impact that you expected this to have. Uh, This is something that has Mm -hmm. personally happened to me. and uh, Maybe it was not a matter of arrogance. It could be. I, I still remember the the first feedback, that feedback session with my my manager at the time when he told me that you know what sometimes you are very overconfident in your ideas. Uh, so you know it's not only the fact that uh, you are like uh, you may neglect stuff, but you 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 transfer that to the team because uh, if you're overconfident, you get it's easy for the other people to believe you and not uh, challenge you in that assumption. So I think that uh, you know. Uh, understanding this and uh, ensuring that uh, you know you have this hypothesis but you need to be also humble and uh, make a proper research and investigation to validate your assumptions is uh, you know essential if you want to be successful uh, in this craft and the earlier you realize it the better for you
0: Mm -hmm. and so what I, i do kind of agree with you that i think early stage product managers either have too much ego or they have imposter syndrome. <laughs> where, <laughs> where they started thinking about, oh, I, I can't, I, you know, I'm gonna fake it till I make it, or whatever, right? So I want to ask you, you know, in your experience w- with yourself, with other PMs, or w- with anybody you've crossed paths with in, in product, how have you seen people been able to successfully remove ego from the equation?
1: I think that the. It's, okay, obviously it highly depends on your character, right? I mean, uh, every person is different. So for some people it's easier, for other people uh, it's a bit harder. Uh, I think that uh, in order to to do that, you, you need to gradually learn to put down your defenses, especially when you're listening to other people's opinions, uh, and especially when you, you disagree on something with them. You know, our usual first instinct is, to, to defend our opinion, in that case. Uh, so, I think that it's important to practice on letting the other side speak and make an honest attempt uh, to understand, to understand where, where they're coming from and, you know, and the rationale. Um, so, at the end of the day, you need to start asking why and make an honest effort to, to, to really listen to them and understand them. It's not necessary to agree with them at the end. Uh, but your goal in product is to build the right solution, right? It doesn't matter whose idea it was or whose opinion is right or wrong. So I think it's a process. Mm. I think it needs time, uh, especially uh, for some people it's harder. Uh, but you need, at the end of the day, to to listen, to, to really listen to people and to really start try and see their own perspectives.
0: Okay. Um outside of like imposter syndrome or uh, you know ego there's another one that is in product and it's like biases there's different types of biases Um, you know um, bias towards data bias towards like whatever right but what are the ones that you've had to deal with often when it came to that
1: I think it's the most uh, frequent one and it's a confirmation bias uh, it's, you know, this thing where you usually come across in uh, research areas or when you have to deal with data and, you know, your data and research always backs your initial assumptions or hypotheses. Uh, I think this happens quite frequently in product and, and in general in, in companies. And you're looking for those data that are actually going to validate your hypothesis, validating any signs or data points that uh, what you have in mind might, might be wrong or might be a little bit off. Uh, so i think that if your findings constantly validate your assumptions or uh, hypothesis this is probably an indicator that uh, you're not dig enough uh, or at least deep enough uh, and your research might be a little bit superficial so you know you might check if you're suffering from the confirmation bias in that case
0: okay okay awesome manos uh, last question i want to ask is you've been doing product for a long time uh, is there anything that you wish people ask you that they never do about uh, whether it's like a specific takeaway experience or like, don't do this, you know, kind of like a message.
1: I think, yeah, yes, uh, it's, it's not like they, they never ask obviously, but I, I wish that people asked more Maybe it's connected with what we were discussing before. Uh, So I wish people asked more, why do you say that? Like asking you to elaborate on something, especially uh, when, uh, you know, uh, you have a difference uh, in opinion. Um, I think it's maybe a leftover from the job because you usually have to be analytical and uh, dig deep into things. So as a product manager, you usually learn uh, to ask that, but usually sometimes other people do not do that um so i think that it might sound a bit generic but it could be very helpful for any party especially when you have to collaborate with someone to ask uh why uh, where, where you're coming from and why did you do that and this goes both ways right
0: yeah okay um actually last question when it comes to um there's a lot of product leaders i spoke to who are some are like very very data driven in their decision making process others use the term data aware uh meaning like they use it as like a reference point but they still use other factors what what aspect of um of that do you take and like, do you take more of like uh, i use data and then i trust my gut or i go speak to customers to confirm or Like what are some layers that you do in order to make sure you're not just being totally reliant on on data for your decision making?
1: Uh, I take the aspect that I think that data are an excellent starting point to and you should start from that in order to identify, you know, uh, where the issue is, any any potential issues and where they they lie to, to give you a great idea of, you know, we have a problem here and it's probably coming on that uh spot on, on the on this area and then uh, obviously y- you can trust your gut but i think that the best way is to go out and uh, talk with a few customers or you know perform any other uh user research activities like if it's not something that you can tackle by uh, with, with speaking to customers like uh i don't know it could be any usability tests or anything like that uh, or get to the other tools that you might be using. It, it could be user surveys, exit surveys. In general, the goal here is to get some more qualitative feedback, some more qualitative information in order to formulate uh, some uh, hypothesis uh, to test. Uh, and then, you know, once you have them and uh, you, pri- you, you you can trust not your back, but you know, you can evaluate them and prioritize them and see what you should roll out and uh, test if you know this is going to work or not. So I would take the approach of you know being data driven, uh, take some qualitative take qualitative insights, and then you know uh, actually put out put something out and see if that works or if you wanna if you need to change it.
0: Okay, perfect. Uh- Thank you so much, Manos. I think that's a, that's a wrap for today. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing all this knowledge. And always thank you to our listeners for tuning in and enjoying the show and supporting us.